0: God, I thought you were just. How could this have happened? I didn't do anything wrong. Why is this happening to me?
1: I thought God was supposed to reward good people and punish bad people. God, if you're good, why am I suffering like this? Good morning. Good morning, I have been thoroughly enjoying the book of Job, a lot of labor over, it. it's, there's so much in this book, we've done it in eight weeks, this is our final chapter and our final session, so we're in chapter 42, so if you would turn there, I'm going to read the first six verses, and just as you're doing that, as we've been looking at the book of Job, it's an invitation to trust God's wisdom. That might be in all the complexities, suffering, or however that that is for you. It's trusting God's wisdom. One commentator put it like this, quote, man simply cannot tie all the loose ends of the Lord's purposes together. In suffering, we are learning to trust God no matter what the circumstances, unquote. I like that whole idea of we're learning. You know, the word disciple means we're a learner. So we're learning how to trust God. Really, that's what life is about. As we, we begin walking with the Lord, trusting him with all the things that are going on. Daniel McKenna in his commentary on Job said this, quote, When we look on the book of Job from the perspective of Jesus Christ, every line leans forward into the promise of the incarnation and the resurrection Unquote. Can you hear an amen? We're going to talk a little bit about the resurrection because I think actually it's one of the main things on my heart this morning. I think the Lord's heart for us. We really need to think more about the future resurrection that's ours as believers. This life is but a vapor. So as we read in Hebrews, Jesus said, behold I have come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. The whole Bible points us to Jesus. Job points us to Jesus. Jesus is divine perspective. Jesus is human perspective. Jesus is God exalted. And Jesus is God revealed. And so we're looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So the book of Job is an invitation to trust Jesus. That's what we're talking about here. So Job chapter 42 First six verses, this is a paragraph that really is transitional between the third monologue and this final epilogue. It transitions us into this God restoring Job. So in chapter 42, verse 1, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything, and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. I think we need to say that to the Lord often. I know that you can do everything, and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked... Who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, Job to God, I will question you and you shall answer me. Job, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Notice what he says, therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and thank you for this book, one of the treasures among the other 66. And we thank you, Lord, that you've given to us your inspired, inerrant word of God. That man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You've preserved it for us. You want to speak to us through it. You want, Lord, to get right between the thoughts and intents of our hearts. Your your word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. We want to know where we are and where you want us going. We want to give ourselves to not only hearing, but obeying what we hear from you this morning. So I ask, Lord, your, your anointing and blessing over the things that I have prepared. Break them fresh. Speak to us, Lord. We're hungry. We want to grow in our faith and we know faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So speak to us, I pray, Lord. Bless this time now in your word, in Jesus' name, amen. So a little recap, outline recap this morning, then we'll, we'll close in chapter 42 when God restores. So the prologue in chapters 1 and 2, divine perspective, Jesus is that. And so in chapters 1 and 2, we looked at when life goes bad. How many of you have times when life goes bad? And we looked at Job. And so this introduction to Job's suffering, we learn in chapters 1 and 2, what sets the stage for the whole thing is something Job never knew about, nor did his friends. What went on between God and Satan up there in heaven. So there's a problem. And Job isn't really aware of why the problem's there, what's happening, because it's coming as God has allowed Satan, first of all, to attack Job indirectly. So so Satan robs Job of all his fortune. He kills all his children. So that's setting now the stage for his suffering, part of it. So notice in chapter one, I'm going to just go to chapter one now. And as we go, I'll give you a couple verses as we read each, each of these eight sections. In Job one, verse 20, then Job arose after he lost all of his fortune, all of his kids are dead. Job arose, chapter one, verse 20. He tore his robe in grief. He shaved his head. He fell to the ground and worshipped. Is that your first response when things go bad? And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb. And naked shall I return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And here's the amazing response. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge charge God wrongly. Amazing response. Then God also gave Satan permission to attack Job directly. And so Job is destroyed health-wise and even in personal dignity. Again, his response is amazing. In Job chapter 2 and verse 9, Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die but he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not accept adversity? Now, Job received it as from the Lord. Again, how do you respond to difficult things? This is Job's response. Now, we'll get into his responses as they change, but he's just saying, are we going to receive good but yet not adversity from the Lord? He took it as God's will for him from, his, from the hand of God. And then he said this, and all this, again, amazing, Job did not sin with his lips. So this introduction of Job's suffering sets the stage for all the rest of the book. And so we're given an invitation in our suffering to trust God's wisdom. Job was the most upright man on earth. And he suffers the most of anyone on earth. And so what stirs in my mind, and probably yours too, is could any suffering be more undeserved? These afflictions financially, emotionally, physically, and spiritually absolutely defy human explanation. Why Job? Which again leads us to the question we began with. We have to ask ourselves, why Jesus? Why would Jesus suffer as he did for us? You talk about undeserved suffering. Certainly Jesus who knew no sin became sin for us. He became the suffering servant of Isaiah chapters 52 and 53. Why Jesus? Well, it's very simple. The only explanation is the love of God. That's the only explanation we can give for it. It's God's love that he sent Jesus to die for us. And so... We get these three rounds of dialogue and debate that follow. And the first one we looked at, the first debate round, chapters 3 through 14, we called when life hurts. And Job was a hurting man. He wanted to die. He wished he was never born. Tremendous pain. And so I look at this when life hurts. Jesus is the pain manager, pain management. And Job is going through this as we all do. First of all, he's patient, chapters 1 and 2. He just receives it, shall we not receive adversity from the Lord? And so he receives it, but you know how it is, the longer it goes, the less patient we are. Can you hear an amen? And so he becomes the impatient Job, which is a appropriate human response. God's not expecting differently from us. He is working us through things to understand we can trust God's wisdom, even though we have all a roller coaster emotional ride in life. And so the impatient Job we get through most of the book of Job as he's contending and complaining and arguing and angry. But then we get chapter 42, we'll get that, the penitent Job, the repentant Job, when God restores. And so the full spectrum of appropriate human response we find in the book of Job. We'll have that patient first receptor, Reception of it. Then we'll get impatient. But eventually, God brings us to that place where we realize, God's a lot bigger than I thought. God's a lot better than I thought. God is good. God is glorified through my my life as I give glory to him in repentance. So Job, he was committed to God. But he also complained to God. That's okay. God can take it. He understands that. And he contended with God, but not only God, with his friends. That's the human side of it, the human perspective. That's what we're going to go through. And so the first round of debate, this human perspective, is when life hurts. It's the pain that comes to our lives. So Job said in all his pain, in fact, through the book of Job, he has these brilliant flashes of faith. Where did that come from? It came from God. And so he has this brilliant flash of faith of a future resurrection. We need more flashes of faith in the future resurrection. He says this, chapter 13 and verse 15. He said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. No matter how bad it gets, I know I can trust God. Now that's a flash of faith for Job. And we need the same for us. When you leave this morning, we're going to have. There, we've bought a bunch of these uh, bracelets, these wrist bracelets, and it says on there that verse, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And my desire for you, as for me, is that when you look at that, you think of the future resurrection that is ours in Christ. That this life is but for a moment. That God has given to us a hope that goes way beyond even the simple things of this life. Way beyond that. Job said in verse chapter 14, For there is hope for a tree. (laughs) If it is cut down, that it will sprout again. And that its tender shoots will not cease. But man, he says, verse 10, But man dies and is laid away. Indeed, he breathes his last, and where is he? Verse 12, so man lies down and does not rise. Notice, he says, till the heavens are no more, they will not awake nor be roused from their sleep. Oh, that you would hide me in the grave, that you would conceal me until your wrath is past, that you would appoint me a set time. And Remember, if a man dies, shall he live again? I've used that verse often in memorials and funerals. If a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my heart's service, I will wait till my change comes. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. You see, there's coming a future resurrection. And I want to dwell on this just a little bit more for us this morning. Because this bracelet is central to everything that's going on. We have a hope in a resurrection after we die. After this tent is done. We have a body not made with hands. Eternal in the heavens. God's prepared us for it. And I'm saying, yeah. Yeah. You see, Job was committed to God. He complained to God. He contended with God. But Jesus came. He was totally committed to doing the will of God. Jesus never complained in all of his suffering. Never. And Jesus contended with the devil himself to win a victory for us over sin, death, and hell. That's what Jesus did for us. Points us to him. So... When life hurts, when there's tremendous pain and suffering and complexities, know this this life is a vapor. It's temporary. Jesus came to die for, for our sins to secure our resurrection. And he said it very clearly in John chapter 6. All that the Father gives me will come to me. This is verse 37. And the one who comes to me, all that come, and the one who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son, capital S-O-N, and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day, and I say, "Amen." amen. I hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. And in Jesus' name, I have salvation. I'm being sanctified. And one day, I will be resurrected and glorified as his child in all and through all eternity. And I say, yeah. Do you have that hope this morning? See, these debates will bring out this whole thing. When there's pain, it's, it's normal. We're going to have responses to it. But our final, and our final response will be standing before the throne and worshiping him who lives forever and ever. That's our, that's our hope. Why am I crying? I don't know. I should be laughing. <laughs> Paul said, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. That's what's going to happen. There's going to be this change. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Now, someone said there's, there's 10 twinkles to a blink. So it's like, you know, in a twinkling of an eye, God is going to change us when we die. When this tent is dissolved. He said, then this corruption must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. And then we'll be declared, death is swallowed up in victory. We have nothing to fear. Because God's love conquered it the fear of death, the fear of hell, gone. Because Jesus came to do the will of the Father and he will raise us up in the last day. Amen. No matter how much it hurts, Jesus is coming again. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. You know, there's this whole idea there, though it's the worst, I'm gonna trust him, but really, when we die, it's the best. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And that's what's going to happen. We have a building of God not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And who's prepared us for that? Not me or not you. God's prepared us for that. Then we got to the second of the rounds of debates in chapters 15 through 21. And we called it when you're all alone. This is the peace maintenance that's needed. Jesus, the peace maintainer, and how does he do that? Through prayer. So we talked about prayer there. El- Eliphaz saying, Job, you're saying prayer doesn't work. Job never said that. The whole book of Job is a book of prayer. As he, yes, it, it's contentious at times. It's all these things. But that's Job just talking to God and talking about God to them. Job was centered on God. Yes, he had questions. Yes, he had problems. But his prayer life did not linger. His prayer life lengthened in suffering, and so does ours. God is always just a prayer away. And when we pray, listen, God is listening. When we pray, God hears. When we pray, God works. Now, there's a loneliness that no human relationship, no amount of success, degrees, jobs, hobbies, or pets can fill. And that loneliness is a loneliness for relationship with God. And if you don't have that this morning, you don't know God through Jesus Christ, that loneliness, you will never fill that void because God gave you, created you with a need for Him, a need to have a relationship with Him. If you don't have that, you're going to have a void that nothing can fill. Hobbies, pets, degrees, placards, all over the place. God wants you to know Him because He created you for that purpose. To walk with Him. And so the first prayer, the most important, if you confess with your mouth the Lord, you you pray to God. He's right there. He's a prayer away. And we're going to give you an opportunity this morning, if that's you, to say yes to Jesus today and enter into that relationship with him that begins through prayer. When you pray, you're never alone. God's there. Listen, prayer does matter. Prayer does make a difference. Prayer is the deciding factor. Prayer is powerful. It's pure. It's profitable. Prayer is what our Redeemer lives for. And in this section, chapters 15 through 21, in chapter 19, again, another flash of faith. Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives lives and he shall yet stand there and I shall see him. I know that my redeemer lives and Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. But before that came to pass as he was exalted glorified, Jesus came to earth and he prayed, listen, alone regularly. He wasn't alone. He was with God. When you pray, you're never alone. You're with God. Prayer is important. We know that. It's powerful. It's purifying. It's profitable. Don't give it up. You pray. And when you pray, God, and Jesus prayed alone all the time. And if Jesus prayed, I would say we probably need to pray too. Can you hear an Can I hear an amen? amen. While he was in his earthly life. And then alone in prayer, he conquered at the cross. He prayed alone in that garden in great agony. But that's where he's, he won the victory. Not my will, but your will be done. And there Jesus conquered the devil and all the temptations coming at him. He conquered all of his emotions. Also in prayer, he said, not my will, but your will be done. And he was in great agony. But listen, he was Alone. Alone. For you and me. Because no one, none of us, and no one could help him. He alone conquered that at the cross. Now he ever lives to make intercession for us. And brothers and sisters, let us not forget, my, my fellow believers, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to help us pray. He sent the Holy Spirit to help us pray. We're never alone. Then we went to chapters 22 through 27. This third round. We talked about when life's not fair. Now, (laughs) maybe as parents, you said that. Well, it's not fair. Well, to our kids. Well, life's not fair. Get over it. (laughs) Life's not fair. And so we looked at the providence of God when life's not fair. See, God's the promise maker. And so the providence, God is sovereign over all things. In control. The natural world, that means the whole universe. The animal world, the angelic and demonic world, and all human beings. God is sovereignly in charge. God who created all things also preserves, protects, provides, and purposes for all things. That's what God does. He guides them in fulfilling his plan in all of time and through all eternity. That's God's sovereign providence. So Job said this in chapter 23, verse 8. Look, I go forward, but he's not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. When he works on the left hand, I cannot behold him. When he turns the right hand, I cannot see him. When he works on the left hand, I cannot behold him. When he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. So again, he's saying, God's there, I know that, but I can't see him. I don't know what he's doing. And then he says this, again, another flash of faith. But he knows the way that I take. He knows where I am. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. God knows what he's doing. Can I hear an amen? He knows where I am and he knows what I'm doing. That's his providence over my life. So God is sovereign within the choices that I make. Do I understand that? I don't. But I know that I have a, a, this capacity, ability God gave me to choose and my choices are real. But God also is sovereign in his providence, working through all of my choices to bring out his perfect will. Do I understand that? I don't. But I'll tell you, I take it to heart. So problem is God has a perfect plan. It's not part perfect. It's not almost perfect. It's wholly Perfect. God's providence, his will will prevail. He works sovereignly through my choices. His will will prevail. And I'm thankful that it will, not mine. God gave us, his promise also is. He has a perfect plan, his will will prevail. But God made us a promise. He made us a promise. He's the promise keeper. And so the invisible hand of almighty God Working through the hands of sinful men to finish his perfect plan, fulfill his promise by prevailing through his son over sin, Satan, death, and hell, paying the price for our redemption, bringing about our resurrection, and the glorifying of his son, Jesus Christ. That's God's perfect plan, and he did it. You talk about not fair. If there's ever a not fair, it's Jesus and all of his suffering. And then you talk about beyond fair. Jesus' suffering, according to the perfect plan of his heavenly father, secured my salvation for his plan to save me. And I go, wow. Life's not fair, but God is love. Amen. I'm so thankful because I know in whom I believed. And I'm persuaded he's able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. I am so thankful because I know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his what? Purposes. That's me. God's called me according to his purposes. So God in his mercy has a perfect plan for my life. As I choose to follow him. God's will. God's will by his grace. Will prevail in my life. As I choose to follow him. God has promised to complete his work in me. As I choose to follow him. Philippians puts it this way. Chapter 2 verse 12. Therefore my be loved, as you have always obeyed. Not as in my presence only, but also my absence. Here it is. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I got to work it out? You betcha. But then, for it is God who works in you, both to will and do what pleases him. Do I understand? I don't. But I am partnering with God in this thing called salvation. And as I walk with him and choose, he's going to work out his perfect plan, his will for my life, and he's going to perfect that which concerns me. He's going to bring me to the final day of my earthly life, and he's going he's to take me in to be with him, and so shall I ever be with the Lord. And I say, hey, when life's not fair, I've got to look to Jesus. Now we've got the three monologues that come up, chapters, beginning of verses chapters 28 through 31. When life doesn't make sense, and this is Job. Job 28, where can wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Verse 20, from where then does wisdom come? And again, where is the place of understanding? Job is seeking to understand what's going on, have wisdom to know what to do. And what he finds out is this, that the wisdom and understanding Job is searching for is beyond him. It's beyond him. It's beyond the wisdom of man. In other words, it's beyond human ability. It's beyond the ways of man. In other words, it's beyond human ingenuity. It's beyond the wealth of man. It's beyond human prosperity. That's why I reject prosperity teaching. I have a theological term for it. It's called baloney. Okay. Okay. Listen, this wisdom cannot be searched out, summoned up, or sold to the highest bidder. How, where is this wisdom to be found? Verse 27 of chapter 28. Then God saw wisdom and declared it. He prepared it and he searched it out. Then he said to man, note this, chapter uh, 28, verse 28, and then to... And to man he said, not to the animals, not to the angels, not to the demons. And to man he said, behold, the fear of the Lord is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. And so this wisdom is before anyone. It's there for us. If we will receive it from God, listen, personally. Personally. There has to be a personal encounter with the living God who is Jesus, is our wisdom. So it will not be seen without God revealing himself personally to you. That begins through receiving Christ as your Savior. Amen. It will not be found without seeking God personally, that is you. It will not be attained to Without, here it is, fearing God and keeping his commandments. It's really very simple. It's fearing God and keeping his commandments. So how do I do that? We looked at two things. First of all, prepare for the future. That's wisdom. Prepare, we looked at the ant. Prepare for the future. How do I do that? By preserving and protecting your relationship with God in the present. Prepare for the future by protecting and preserving in the present your relationship with God. So how does that work? Fear God and keep his commandments. Three things we looked at. Number one, learn from the past. Don't live in the past. Move on. Learn from it. Don't live in it. Secondly, surrounded by the present, do not surrender to the problems God has himself to help you. And we surrender often to the problems around. And God's saying, I will be with you. I will walk with you through the fire, through the floods. I will be with you. I will keep you. I will watch you. I will take you right through it. So, surrounded, surrounded by the present stuff, don't surrender to the present problems. And the final thing, very simple. Fix your eyes on Jesus Because he's the author and finisher of your faith. Jesus will complete. In other words, Job said, I'm done talking. Jesus said, I'm not done yet with you. As long as we're on this earth, there's still more work to be done. Can you hear an amen? So when life doesn't make sense, fix your eyes on Jesus. He's the author and finisher of your faith. Then we looked at this second monologue, which was Elihu, this young guy. A very opinionated young man who was quiet up to this point. But then he's getting tired of listening to all the old guys. They seem to, you know, run their, they used up all their words, as Job did. Said, okay, you're done talking. Now let, he says, Job, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. I'm going to give you my opinion. I'm going to tell you what I think. I'm going to teach you wisdom, Job. And we looked at this whole idea when people don't get it. And so, People aren't going to get it. We don't get it often. And we can be talking about all these things. And when you're going through tremendous suffering, you'll get a lot of opinions. We get them. But listen, God gets it perfectly. God gets it when no one else does. Secondly, listen to people in the presence of God. Why? Because God's listening too. So when people are chattering, God's listening in. He's hearing it also. In other words, keep God current in the conversations that we have. And then third, listen for God in the presence of people because God is speaking to you too. We looked at some nuggets that came out from all the chatter and God always has things to say to us that bring us back to the basics, bring us back to the simple things that keep us moving on. When people don't get it, God does. C.S. Lewis put it this way, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. And that is so true. God wants to speak to us. God wants wants to know that he's listening to us. And then last week in our final, our seventh study, it's when God shows up. And we love it when God shows up. So that word answer we talked about 70 times, but the only ones that really matter is when God answered Job and Job answered God. That is what mattered. It came to that climax. Climactic chapters, chapters, these chapters that we just read, went through last week, climactic the whole book because here is where God's saying, Trust my wisdom. Trust God's wisdom. And so the book of Job is an invitation to trust God's wisdom. So how do we answer that invitation? First of all, by answering God's questions that he asked Job, honestly, for ourselves. This invitation to trust God's wisdom, first of all, begins with answering the questions God's asking. And here's what he asked Job. Who is he who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Uh, That was me. (laughs) Shall the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? That was me. Would you indeed annul my judgment? I've done that. See, honestly answering is from our heart. Yeah, I I have. Would you condemn me that you may be justified? I'm right and God's wrong. Now, I might not say that blatantly, but in my mind, the way that I operate, the way that I'm living, that's what I'm saying. The final one, God says, who then is able to stand against me bringing to that place Job to that place of repentance before God so first of all we answer that invitation by answering God's questions first of all honestly and then responding to what God showed Job humbly ourselves what did God show Job he is creator and so God always is before you he is your God What's the response? Trust God's wisdom by rejoicing in who He is, rejoicing with the angels. Rejoicing, He created you. Praise Him. That's the first response, and I think that's the beginning response of anything. Most of the things you read in the Bible. Enter His gates with what? Thanksgiving. Enter His courts with praise. Thank Him and praise Him. That's the beginning of trusting God's wisdom. Not difficult, but it must be intentional most of the time. I'm not feeling like that. So offer to God the sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. Secondly, he revealed to Job, God always is for you. He is good. He is the the caretaker of everything he created. He cares about the creatures. He cares about you. So my response, trust God's wisdom by release control. By faith. Just release control. Let God take those cares, those burdens, and those things into his loving hands. Release to him. And that's difficult. Casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you. He is good. How do we do that? Obey him. Obey him. What is it's contrary, and a lot of obedience is contrary to how would I feel like. Trust God's wisdom by responding to his care by faith. Thank him. Thank him. So praise him, obey him, thank him. And then God also revealed that he is with Job. He is his guardian. He keeps you in all your ways. So trust God's wisdom. Here, this is a little turn now. Repent quickly of all sin. Because God knows that sin will destroy your life. He cares about you. But it's your choice. It's my choice. In other words, hate sin. Hate sin. And then trust God's wisdom. Reject compromise with any sin. Don't even go there. In other words, love him. Love him. What's the response to the invitation? Praise him. Obey him, thank him, hate sin, and love him. So now we turn the page to our final chapter. Just three things very simply I'm going to give to you. Is when God restores. This is the epilogue. And we read chapter four. The sixth verse is the turning point. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Repentance. See, God restores through repentance. Repentance. Repentance is a door to all that God has for us, beginning with salvation. So the impatient Job is now the penitent Job. The Job who complained to God is now the Job confessing to God. The Job who contended with God is now the Job surrendering to God. The Job who had heard of God by the ear is now the Job Job seeing God with his eye, the eye of faith. The Job who battled to turn to God is the same Job seeing God now turning to him. This is repentance. This is what happens in repentance. The Job who held it together at the relentless and callous rebukes of his friends is now the Job broken in pieces at the feet of his glorious God. That's repentance. How beautiful to the Lord is the broken heart of repentance and, and faith. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. God restores through repentance Psalm 51, the sacrifice of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Psalm 147, 3, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, said this For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceive That the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. There are hard things to be said at times to bring about repentance. And Paul's saying, you know, I wrote it and I wasn't sure. I didn't want to hurt you in that way. But I wanted you to understand the importance of repentance from sin. So I wrote it to you and at first I'm wondering should I have sent that but then I realized you responded to it. You repented. He said for you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. There's never loss in repentance except for pride that separates me from God. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation not to be regretted. I have never regretted Those times when God in all of his mercy and grace brings me to a place of brokenness where I realize I sinned. I realize I've said things and done things. And it is so freeing. It's godly sorrow. It's understanding God's heart over sin and how he restores through repentance. Job said, he knows the way I take. He knows where I am. And when he's testing me, I shall come forth as gold. He knows what he's doing. And a big part of God's restoration in our lives is bringing us to the place of repentance. In fact, Paul told Timothy that God might grant them repentance. Don't argue with them. Don't quarrel with them. Just pray, be gentle in hopes that God will grant them repentance, the acknowledgement of the truth, that they may understand where they're at and come to repentance. God not only restores through repentance, God restores through prayer. And as we look at this, he says, My servant Job shall pray for you. So let's pick it up in verse 7. And so it was, After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right. Notice, as my servant Job has. Four times God calls him my servant Job. Now, therefore, take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams. Go to my servant Job. And offer up for yourselves a burnt offering, and my servant Job shall pray for you. For I will accept him, lest I deal with you according to your folly, because you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. And I believe that's encompassing his repentance. Job realized he was wrong in many of his things. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namothite, went and did as the Lord commanded them, for the Lord had accepted Job. So God restores through prayer. Job the sufferer, God's saying to these three friends, Job the sufferer is my servant, Job. He's my servant. He's saying my servant, Job, is now, Job, my accepted mediator and intercessor for you. You need Job right now more than you ever thought. And when he, notice verse 10, and the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. God restores through prayer. Job, your mediator and intercessor, fellas, is now Job who is forgiving you and is your friend again. All they went through, he's forgiver and friend. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. God restores through repentance, through prayer, and also through people. And so the final few verses. Then all his brothers, all his sisters, all those who had been his acquaintance before came to him, ate food with him in his house, and they consoled and comforted him. So God restores through people comforting for all the adversity that the Lord has brought upon him. They're comforting him, consoling him. Each one gave him a piece of silver and each a ring of gold. That's the earthly comfort and provision of God through them. Now, listen. Jesus came. As the suffering servant of God, Jesus became God's accepted mediator and intercessor for you and me. Only by knowing Him will we know God as our forgiver and our friend. And only by knowing Him will we know God can restore our lives as well through repentance. Prayer and people. Jesus restores us through repentance, prayer, and people. Counting God's blessings as more than his beginnings. That's what happens here. Notice verse 12. The Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginnings. For he had 14,000 sheep. He started out with 7,000. He had 6,000 camels. He started with 3,000. He had 1,000 yoke of oxen. He started with 500. And he had 1,000 female donkeys. He started with 500 female donkeys. So God doubled everything that he had. Notice now, verse 13. He also had seven sons and three daughters. And he called the name of the first Jemima, which means dove. The name of the second Keziah, which means cinnamon perfume. And the name of the third Keren Hapuk, which means horn of ivory. Has to do with outward beauty, the names even. In all the land were, no, were found no women so beautiful as the daughters of Job, and their father gave them an the inheritance among their brothers. So, hold on a second. He doubled all the others, but how come he didn't double his daughters and sons? It's very simple. He only lost them temporarily. He's going to see them all again. Amen. We're going to see all of ours again, Amen. Hopefully, we pray for that. So he he only lost them temporarily. And really they're the only ones that matter. All the sheep, all the oxen, all the female donkeys matter little now to Job. And that's what happens through suffering. Through trials we realize that things as well. Oh that's great. God's blessed me in many ways. But you know those things really don't matter. What matters are my relationships with people here on earth. That are going to be taking me to be with them in heaven for all eternity. And so we pray. We intercede just as Jesus, we pray and intercede. God, would you please draw my son, draw my daughter to you that we might spend all eternity together with them? I don't want to lose them, I want to take them. And, brothers and sisters, the only thing we can take to heaven are the souls of people. I'm kind of glad we can't take donkeys or dogs. Or cats, now you want to what? <laughs> Are there dogs in heaven? I don't know. Now after this, notice verse 16, Job lived 140 years, saw his children and grandchildren for four generations. I say hallelujah. And so Job died old and full of days. It's been suggested that when this whole thing started, Job was 70 years old. So God doubled his life after that, 140 years. He was full of days. I take that literally. Days with a capital D. Full of a lot of days. That is, grandchildren for four generations going to hear an amen. (laughs) That's what I'm, yeah, I'm taking that literally. Give me more grandchildren. Give me more, how many would say amen to that? Amen. Uh, I need better than that. Amen. Amen. Okay. So here's the wrap up, very simply. When life goes bad, why Jesus? It's very simple. He is the love of God. When life hurts, Jesus is the suffering servant. He bore our sin alone for us. When, when, when you're all alone, Jesus is the deciding factor as he alone won the battle at the cross. When life's not fair, Jesus is the perfect will of God. He's gonna finish the work he started in your life. That's the human perspective. When life doesn't make sense, Jesus is the wisdom of God. He's the author and finisher of your faith. When people don't get it, Jesus is our hearing God. He is speaking to us. When God shows up, Jesus is our hope. Listen, he came to explain, but he's coming again. Amen. See, that's God exalted. And finally, the epilogue, when God restores... First of all, we said, why Jesus? He is the love of God. When God restores, thank Jesus because he makes all things new. That's the book of Job. It's an invitation to trust God's wisdom. Praise him. Thank him. Obey him. Hate sin. And love him. That's our response to him. I've asked, I'm going to ask Carl to come up. I wanted to just do a little interview with him because I've known... Carl's been coming since 1999. He's been intimately involved in our prayer meetings. He's a, he's a, a warrior on the streets with the gospel has been ever since I've known him. He's gone to Kent Station, but anywhere he goes, he, he, he takes advantage of that by giving people a witness. Three and a half years ago, Carl came, uh, was diagnosed with uh, fourth stage carcinoma cancer, skin cancer. He's been through three surgeries so far. He has been, uh, all the things that come with that, the pain, the digestive problems, the disfigurement of his face. He's lost a lot of movement in his eye here. He's having another surgery on Tuesday. I just wanted you to hear, because I asked him. I said, have you ever wavered in all this three and a half years with it?" So I wanted just you to hear him, because when he was talking, I was saying, man, as I've known, he's not trying to be a witness. He is, his relationship with God, well, he's German, so that helps, I think. He's, he's just, yeah. <laughs> but he has just, he, he's, he's walked it out in all that's gone on for him. So I want to ask, ask you, have you, how have you been comforted from all the adversity that the Lord's brought upon you?
0: Well, uh, Get that,
1: swallow it. Yeah. Um, I
0: was coming down the street this morning, and there was this pond, and the, the, the ducks were gathered all around, and uh, there was some uh, geese and a seagull in there. And I thought about our church, you know, and they were on the one side of the pond because there was the sun was coming up and the sun was shining on on that side of the pond. Well, here we all are, right? And we're being comforted by what? We're being comforted by the Word, the Word of God. Mm -hmm. And we're comforted by your words, especially the the, uh, enunciation that you make unto the Word, that uh, you give it body, so to speak. And the Holy Ghost is here. Amen. And so here we are, uh, sharing in the Holy Ghost, uh, being uh, Christians that we are. We know that that uh, Christ has all things in His power, right? We we are under Him, and He uh, He molds us. He molds us into what He wants us to be. And the way I look at life is that. Eventually, uh, he who has the Son has life. He who has the Son of God has life. And uh, this body might fade away, but our spirit will not. Our spirit will Amen. go directly this will we just to talked God. About. Yep. And, and so he has a purpose for us even yeah. after this life. And so uh, our rewards are the things that we have done for God, here while we were on earth, uh, while we're still alive, and uh, with this flesh. But uh, later on, he's gonna have other things for us to do, and we will be vessels of gold, vessels of clay, whatever vessels you might think of. Uh, But we have to take a a, uh, eternal perspective on what's going on here on earth. And I think as long as we do that, we're in good shape.
1: Okay. So so you've been comforted just by the body, by the Word, by by knowing that God is with you and yeah. has a plan and purpose?
0: And I want to thank all the guys on the Tuesday morning yeah. uh, Bible study that's been praying for me. I want to thank you guys for thank Saturday him. mornings here yep. praying for me. Yep. And uh, I feel a little bit sometimes like the guy that they dropped through the roof. <laughs> They didn't
1: actually actually drop him, they lowered him.
0: They lowered him through the (laughs) roof.
1: We don't like the friends that drop us, we like them to lower us. But Jesus caught him. Yes. (laughs) Okay.
0: (laughs) But anyway, uh, I find uh, strength in in just the the compassion that everyone has uh, that's a Christian. And and not only in this sheepfold, but also in others, you know, and I want to thank Scott Hale and uh, Wesley. Uh, and Linnan I want yeah Linnan especially and Siegfried uh, yeah uh so Steve, personal just Steve, individual Steve, Steve people Siegfried yeah. for uh you know just helping me go to the hospital come coming around day by day and and having bible studies and all that So
1: when I when I when I hear that I think of um, Don McClure, how many you know Don McClure, Pastor Don McClure, he's a Calvary guy, and he was at a pastor's conference several years ago, and he had a stroke, and then he lost vision in his eye and stuff, and he got up there, and he said, you know, I always said to the Lord, just take me, take me, but I just didn't want him to take me in pieces. Yeah. yeah. Is, that, is that right? <laughs> so I think you've answered a second, because I'm going to ask you, how have you been counting God's blessings as more than your beginning? And that you're, I think you're answering that with the, with the people that have been in your life? Yeah. The the Word of God, and fellowship. And actually
0: what he's doing to me, uh, he's he's humbled me even more than I was humbled before. He's humbled me even more than I was humbled before. And uh, he's turning me from iron into gold, right? So yes. that's the way I like to look at it. He's he's making me what he wants so, me to so
1: do. So tell me just a moment when you wavered.
0: When I wavered? Uh, when I first found out that I had cancer. Yeah. And that I was stage shock. four. Yeah, uh, I was hoping for stage three or stage two yep. or you know something that was easier to right. overcome. But now I'm totally dependent on God. I'm saying, God, if you want me to live, let me live. If you want me to die, then then I'll go on earlier than I would normally. Okay. You know, but but uh, there's still a purpose that you have for me, and, and uh, I will constantly believe on that. Right on. I will stand on that.
1: Thank you. Let me, let's pray for Carl a moment, and then we'll take communion together. Father, we thank you again for our brother. He has been an example to me over the last particularly three and a half years, knowing what he's been going through, seeing him regularly, and just asking him at times, and he just said, I'm, I'm going to keep trusting the Lord. So, Lord, so for us, we ask that you would give us hearts that can encourage one another, help one another, lower one another where needed, be there just to hold the ropes. And Lord, please, bless Carl. We pray for his healing. That would be our request to you. Make our request known. We pray for his healing. We pray you grant him peace, a greater and greater rejoicing in who you are in spite of what he's going through. Bless our brother, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Thank Thank you, Carl. Yeah. So, uh, would you bow your heads, just uh, wanna give anyone an opportunity this morning who doesn't know the Lord to, to, this would be the moment of their salvation as we've talked about already in this study. You know the truths, but you've never surrendered your life to Christ. First thing I'm gonna just ask, a simple thing, just to raise up your hand and say yes, today I need to get right with God. I need to have my sins forgiven. I need to know that God has heard me, heard my prayer to him of repentance want to turn from my sin. I want to know that when I die, I will go to heaven. I will be God's child. And that begins with a prayer of you accepting Christ as your Savior. So if that's you, I just want to say yes to you. Would you just slip up your hand and keep that up so I can see that? I can acknowledge that this morning. We're praying because we know it's a battle. We also know there's an adversary who's wanting you to stay in your sin through fear, through different excuses, thinking this, you, don't, you have no idea, you don't know, nor do any of us know what lies ahead for you even today. That's why it's an urgent gospel message, good news. I need to get right with God. So as we're just praying for another moment, and that's you, just slip, keep your hand up so I can make sure to see that. And we continue praying, Lord, that you would bring people to salvation right here in this room. That's our prayer. Come to know your love and goodness. Come to that place where we're going to be taking communion, Lord, and we're going to be remembering your death until you come. That's something that's significant to each and every one of the believers in this room. All of us. That you came and died on the cross for our sin. That through your shed blood, your life given, you have paid the Christ so we look back remember your death until you come you've also promised us a future and a hope so as we receive these community and you will hold them and we're going to worship while they're being passed out and I'll come up and we'll take them as the body of Christ because it's some it really it's it's a part that we do as a body in rejoicing in what Christ has done so just receive those hold those and I'll lead us through them uh, when we all have them